your Bibles, or if you want to grab a pew Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We've been working through Paul's epistle. You know, we're in the second part where he deals with practical matters and calls the saints to how to, and tells them how to effectively serve the Lord and to walk consistently with their profession. So we're going to be reading today, starting at verse 29. This is where Paul, he's making application and he, what he's been saying. in this fourth chapter is because of what Christ has done for you and who you are now in the Lord Jesus Christ, here's some things you need to consider and do. So um, that's what he's pointing out. And so he's telling them how to live a consistent Christian life. And maybe there's some things that they needed to deal with, things we need to deal with. So verse 29, reading through to the end of the chapter, we read, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray you bless us now in your word, and I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in this section I say he's making practical applications, and we've seen this before. He starts off in verse 25 telling us not to lie, that our mouths are to reflect reality. You know, it's nice to live in the world that God made. And when people lie and try to do evil things and then cover it up by trying to create a new reality by their words, you know, as I mentioned before, God spoke and it happened. Um, sometimes men in their foolishness think that they can speak and make it happen even when that's not what happened. And that's really what lying is. It's an attempt to try to change reality, uh, or at least not to live in the world God made. Uh, the world God made is pretty awesome. That's why Paul is saying, don't lie anymore. Live in the real world. If you mess up, speak the truth. If somebody asks you for the truth, tell them. You know, speak the truth in love, he says elsewhere. But he says, you know, put away lying. He says, why? For we're members one of another. You don't lie to yourself. At least you shouldn't. Some people tr try it, but it doesn't work out. Then he says, be angry and don't sin. You know, get angry about the right things and don't let the sun go down on your uh, wrath. And so if you have just anger, then make sure it's short-lived because, uh, you know, anger abides in the bosom of fools, it says in Ecclesiastes. So you don't want to go around and be an angry person. So we looked at that, remember, because uh, Scripture tells us don't make friendships with an angry man lest you learn his ways and it becomes a snare to your own soul. So you don't want to pick up bad habits. Okay? It doesn't mean you can't be friendly to people, but it does mean if you know someone's given over to anger, be very careful because it's a real bad moral failing on their part. So he's telling us these are things you need to do. And he says don't let the uh, sun go down on your wrath, and don't give place to the devil. Don't, don't, you know, don't, literally don't make a place for the devil. You know, uh, shut the devil out. Well, 
How do you do that? Well, the devil uses man's anger, okay? God, it says in Scripture, God will even use the wrath of man to praise him, but the remainder of wrath he'll restrain. So God can be glorified even in, in men's failures, but um, we want to make, make sure that we don't give place to the devil. The devil wants to destroy and kill and murder and cause death and sadness and destruction. Um, and harsh words can do just that. We're going to see that in the text we look at today also. Uh, so then he says, don't steal anymore. Be honest in your vocation. And, uh, if, and literally, he, that he who is stealing, remember as I mentioned in the Greek, it's a present participle. So he was writing to some of the Ephesians, maybe they had uh, sticky fingers sometimes in the marketplace or whatever they were doing, or on the job, they weren't being completely honest. So he says, don't do that anymore. Stop doing it. Uh, let him, literally, let him who is stealing, steal no longer. Stop it, is what he's saying. Don't do that. But rather, work, labor, work hard, working with his hands. What is good? Use his hands to steal. Now he needs to use them to labor uh, and uh, do with that which is good. And it's just that he may have something to give to him who has need. Uh, we need to learn to see beyond ourselves. You know, our labor should benefit others. And... Uh, you know, we're not communists. If you work hard, what you what you gain by your labor, that's yours. God gave it to you. But as a stewardship, ultimately it belongs to him. And so then we come to verse 29. So we've got the background now here. We see where kind of where this is all going. And so here he says, now, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. Edification is one of those nice $2 religious words. I don't think we use it much in our regular speech. You know, if you see someone, you generally don't say, how's your edification coming along, you know? Uh, it's not a word we use much. It means to build up. You know, a building sometimes is referred to as an edifice, you know, that, um, and edify means literally to build up. So he said, your speech ought to be doing that, uh, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And people ought to be better off if they listen to you talk or when you speak. And then he says, and it's interesting because the next verse, I think, comes right on the heels of this because uh, having corrupt communication can cause what he's warning about in verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Literally, it means to make sad. Uh, we'll look at that in a moment. He reminds them, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. God gave you his spirit to be with you always. And so don't make it grievous for the Holy Spirit to be in your life by having outbursts of wrath and anger and using filthy speech or just bad language or harsh words. Then he tells, in case we're wondering where that's going, he then tells us, okay, look, don't grieve the spirit, and here's what you need to consider. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another. I love the old Geneva uh, 1560 version. It literally says, and be courteous. Be courteous to one another, or one to another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So that's what he's saying here in these verses. It goes on actually a little bit into the next chapter. The Paul's inspired instructions show the positive duties, really, of the ninth commandment. You know, the ninth commandment is uh, you're not to bear false witness. And that's what lying does. That really what harsh words do that are undeserved. Sometimes a rebuke is necessary. Okay, sometimes it's necessary. But the ninth commandment says your speech ought to reflect truth and reality, and you're not to bear false witness against your neighbor. And so in one sense, we're seeing here an extended application of the ninth commandment. You know, we looked at the large 
catechism last time we saw there, was, and we consider that you, know, you have negative commands, don't do something, in the ninth commandment, don't bear false witness, and that implies the positive. Well, if you're not supposed to bear false witness, and this is, in one sense, kind of a no-brainer, okay? I figured it out, so I suppose everybody else can. If you're not supposed to bear false witness, what are you supposed to do? Pretty clear, isn't it? You're supposed to speak the truth. You're supposed to be a faithful witness. You're your speech is supposed to reflect reality, the world that God made. That doesn't mean you can just go and say mean things to people. Okay? If, if well, I didn't like the way they looked, so I just told them. That's not what he's talking about. That's not what the commandment means. It means to speak the truth, and Paul says, in love. So we need to learn to temper our speech, but always speak the truth. Uh, and then uh, this bitterness in the things in the heart, that remember, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Paul, like as I say, he's showing the positive duties of the ninth commandment far beyond the restrictions against lying and bearing false witness against our neighbor. God here commands us to have only good and encouraging words of love and grace to come forth in our speech among our brothers and sisters, and that would mean everyone also in our community that we come in contact with, but particularly in the church and elsewhere. This doesn't rule out, as I've said, any admonitions or stern rebukes that may be needed to call an erring lamb of Christ flock back from its wayfaring or, or wandering ways, waywardness, but it does mean that all such admonitions and rebukes must be done graciously and with love. It says in Psalm, or Proverbs 27, 6 rather, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So sometimes we might have to hurt someone by saying something to like, you know, your behavior is really bad, or you really hurt that person, or you hurt me. So it's not wrong to bring those things up, but it should be done as a faithful friend. You know, sometimes when we feel compelled to talk to someone, oh, I'm going to go give that person a piece of my mind, uh, it's like, okay, are you really speaking to them because you're hoping they'll change? Or, as I've said before, it's not a pretty illustration, but are you just wanting to go verbally throw up on them, okay? Uh, and you don't care because you'll feel better. Remember, I've talked in the past that we've sadly inherited the uh, false teachings of Freudian psychology into our culture. And so we find that Freud, who grew up in a time when steam seemed to be the major power, Freudian psychology, and I mentioned this before, but in case you didn't hear it, I'll say it again, because I have to remind myself of this. Freud used a lot of steam engine analogies. And that's what we see people talk about. Well, you didn't, I just needed to let off steam. Really? You're not a steam engine. Well, you know, you blow a gasket, you know, if you don't, that's what steam engines do, okay? Uh, and so this idea, that, well, I just had to vent. Well, if you know guys that ever drove an old steam locomotive, and there's still a few around, they'll tell you, yeah, that's why you got to watch the pressure gauge, and if it gets too much, you got to let it vent. So Freud and other psychologists who didn't know what they were doing, or psychiatrists, they used all these analogies to try to describe the human soul, and they based it primarily on the idea of a steam engine, so people excuse themselves when they use horrible speech or they blow up. There we go. There's another one. Okay. Uh, when they blow up at someone because, well, I just had to. I just had to. Uh, that person deserved what you know I had to say, and I just felt, uh, you know, if I hold it in, I would have just exploded. No, actually, if you held it in, your life probably would have been a whole lot better. Okay. And so would the other person that you just 
blew up on, okay? Standing next to a steam engine when it blows isn't going to uh, be a good thing to have happen to you. And so don't be that kind of a person. Today's lesson, write this down if you have to. You are not a steam engine. When you feel that you just have to say something to someone because you're angry, restrain yourself. Get you to keep your mouth shut. It's called self-restraint. It's actually one of the fruits of the Spirit. And you'll be surprised how much your life and the life of your victims, that is the people around you, putting up with your bad speech, how much their lives will improve. And what a nice thing it is when the Holy Spirit gives you that ability to shut your mouth. Now there is a time to speak, it says in Ecclesiastes. But there's also a time to keep silent. And so if you feel like, well, I'm just ready to explode, you're not going to explode. Okay, now you may be so offended and see something going on that you have to speak up. Okay, if someone's hurting someone or doing something, and you, well, I had to do something. Okay, that's fine. That's acting according to God's word, all right? You can intervene if evil is being done. But blowing up with, you know, anger and wrath, that's forbidden, actually. That's what Paul talks about in the last, uh, or the next to the last verse here. So we need to recognize that. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So if you have to go rebuke someone or talk to them seriously about something, don't do it in anger. And parents, this is really true with your children. You know, uh, when you deal with your children, they may make you angry. Be wise, okay? That you... Children actually don't benefit much if you're screaming at them, okay? Because I saw this happen a uh, long time ago in a family. They're not here, but I saw that the, um, the, the, the mother basically taught the children at them or tells them to do something the first few times. They did already, she trained them very well, not the way she wanted or, or knowingly. She trained her children to not listen to her until she was yelling at them. And, you know, I remember reading a book years ago. It said, tell your children in a calm voice. And if they don't obey you when you're speaking to them in a calm voice, this is when they're young enough to benefit from a little paddle once in a while. Uh, tell them in a calm voice. And if they don't obey then, spank them then. Don't hurt them. Spank them. Give them a hug. Let them know it's over, you know, afterwards. Then um, give them a hug and let them know it's you now you, it's been dealt with, but you've got to listen to mommy or daddy. So they learn to listen to you in a calm voice, not to wait until you're angry and yelling at them. So that, that's pretty important stuff. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It says in Proverbs 18.21, I think maybe one of the most important verses in the Bible for us on a practical level in personal relationships. Proverbs 18.21, the first part says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. Now, nobody in this room, because I, I know everyone here pretty well, there's nobody in this room that's intending to go out and kill somebody right now, right? Okay? Everybody here, we wish the best for others in our lives, all right? What are you doing with your tongue? The Bible's saying, you know, if somebody walked around with a flash and a gun and just shooting it indiscriminately, we, we'd try to stop it as best as we could. We'd say, that's horrible what they're doing. If somebody went had a sword and just started swinging it blindly, we go, get that person under restraint. Do something. That person's lost his or her mind. When you speak angry, harsh, mean words, it's the same thing. Okay? People can get discouraged. And people don't realize, you know, it talks in Proverbs about a godly woman. It says, and the law of kindness is in her tongue. Wives, you don't sometimes, maybe some of you do, so I don't want to make this a blanket statement. Generally, my experience as a pastor has been that 
This is true of husbands and wives, but I'm speaking to the ladies, right? You don't know how much power you have over your husbands with your words. When you speak kind words to them and you encourage them, they can go out and conquer the world. At least they're going to believe they can. Okay? And they might just do it. All right? But if you're speaking discouraging words and you're bitter against them or you're angry because you didn't get what you wanted or for whatever reason, maybe your husband did something stupid or sinful, whatever it is, if you're holding grudges and bitterness, etc., etc., you're killing your husband and you're stopping him from being who he should be. And husbands, you can do the same thing to your wives. And often when your wives are speaking to you in an angry, bitter way, it's because they're responding to your input. God made women to be responsive. And that's great because they make great mothers, okay? Uh, and, you know, they respond. And so husbands, if your wife's not everything you think she should be, well, what are you doing? Are you giving her positive input? Are you encouraging her? Are you letting her know that you love her, not just with your words, but in deed and in truth? So, uh, you know, and the tongue is the power of life and death. Parents, with your children, you can kill your children with words. Scripture says, you know, don't provoke your children to anger, to wrath. I see some parents, and it's like, I've seen this through my whole ministry, my whole life. I've seen some kids that are so beat down and discouraged because their parents don't even have a clue that they, they never give their child a word of encouragement or never speak to them uh, in an encouraging way or, or point out, hey, you know what, God's really blessed us with having you in our, in our lives, etc. And we need to realize that. And children, you can hurt your parents by speaking cruel words to them. So what do we learn from today? We need to get our tongues and mouths under con control. Now, Paul's being real practical, and let's just take a, a quick look at some of this. Uh, he says, every word that's corrupt, well, literally, it's, it's in the negative, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Literally, it's every word that's rotten must not be allowed to proceed out of your mouth. That word corrupt is the word sapros in Greek. And it's like if you have fruit on a tree or in a basket and it's rotten, that's the word you'd use, sapros, okay? And Paul's saying, don't let those kind of words come out of your mouth because there's no benefit to them. And, but, but then he doesn't just leave us with that. He doesn't just give us a negative. He says, here's what you ought to be doing. But what is good, and the word there is agathos. There's, you know, there's a couple of words that, that are translated good in English from the Greek New Testament. Uh, the, the word uh, kalos is the word that means generally external beauty. It can mean inner goodness also. But if something's beautiful, kalos, that, that means it's good. This is the word, the agathos means inward goodness. It can also mean external, but it, it, it emphasizes more, this is, this is something that's really good whether it's moral or just uh, visual or however it is. So he's saying the things that we ought to be doing, what should be coming out of your mouth are good words, not corrupt ones. If you go to, you know, there's nothing, uh, as far as nature is concerned, not too many other things that are as beautiful as, you know, ripe fruit hanging on a, on a branch. You know, you see an orange that's just beautiful or a nice ripe peach and, you know, uh, plums and all, all the good produce that, it grows on trees. When it's good, it's really pretty. It's really, you know, it's healthy. You know, sometimes you know, if I mention oranges and ripe plums and peaches and apricots, I used, you know, my dad had a lot of fruit trees on the farm when I was growing up. And I start thinking of those things. Yeah, my mouth starts watering a little bit. Same thing happens when people mention quail to me, though, so it's not all just about fruit. Um, 
So, good words, words that minister health. Know what he says. Words, good words for edification, literally unto uh, edification as needed. Edif necessary edification. No, he doesn't just say edification. You know, building each other, but necessary edification. That's an interesting thought. Necessary edification. That means the people in your life, they need to be encouraged and built up by good words coming out of your mouth. Now, that doesn't mean you, you, know, you try to be phony and you just, you know, hi, how you doing, you know, etc. But it means that you need to learn to study. You know, the Bible says we're to provoke one another to love and good works. And I, that's the way the old King James uh, renders it, I think, you know, to learn to provoke. A lot of us know how to provoke others, okay? But it, Paul says we're to provoke one another to love and to good works. And so we need to study this. What can I say? You know, and sometimes when you feel like telling somebody something, you need to ask yourself, okay, is this going to help in the situation? And really think it through, because initially your heart might want to be a little deceptive, go, oh yeah, because I'm going to feel way better once I rebuke this person, or once I go off on them, as we say. Um, restrain your voice. You know, think it through. Is this, an, you know, does my child need to hear this from me? Does my wife need to hear these words from me? Is this going to help and encourage her? Does my husband need to hear this? And if you conclude no, then be quiet. Self-restraint. You go, oh, it's really hard. Yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. So start praying. Lord, help me. Okay, and then think, well, what should I be saying? What are the words that ought to be coming out of my mouth? Good words unto necessary edification. I need to encourage my brothers. It's necessary for us to encourage our brothers and sisters in the faith, our family members and people in our community. Note that it may impart grace to the hearers. Uh, pretty important. Those, and the word hears means those who are listening to you. So if you haven't completely got people to the point where they no longer bother to listen to you because they're tired of hearing all the garbage that comes out of your mouth or they just can't trust you to say things that are going to be edifying, if they're still listening, then start putting good things in there. Okay? It doesn't mean be phony, but study. What does this person need to hear? You might have a child that messes up, okay? Sins, does something wrong, disobedient, for whatever reason, all right? What do you need to say to that child? You know, and generally, you made me angry is not something they need to hear, okay? But talk to them, find out why did you do that? What were you thinking? Okay, you do know you're getting spanked for that, right? <laughs> okay, uh, talk to them, reason with them, explain things to them as best as you're able. I've said this before, the reason why children quit listening to their parents is the parents convince the child that the parent has quit listening to them. Those of you who have children, think about that, okay? You want your children to listen to you, learn to listen to them, all right? Children, obey your parents, listen to what they have to say. Even if you think, well, they're not really listening to me. Fine, hear what they have to say anyway, you're supposed to honor them, okay? But parents recognize that. This is not just parents, husbands, wives, various relationships on the job. If people think you're not listening to what they have to say, they're not going to be too interested in anything you have to say. So if you want to be a good communicator and you really think, like, I'd love to have good words coming out of my mouth and be an encourager to others, learn to listen to people. And to do that, that means you're going to have to be a little more quiet, maybe. Okay? Listen to them. Talk to them. Even when they mess up at any time. 
Because your, your speech is supposed to minister grace to the hearers. The word grace, that Greek word charis, it means favor. Uh, it closely related to the idea of love, but it means just that. Grace is the best English word we have to translate the Greek word. Uh, and so that it might, your words, your speech needs to impart grace to the hearers. You say, well, am I just supposed to try to make people feel good about themselves? Well, what would be wrong with that? Okay, unless you're thinking like encouraging someone in sin. Generally, it's okay if people come, come away from conversations with you thinking like, wow, I've been encouraged. I think God really does love me. I had, I had a friend who had been brought up with a lot of rejection in his home life and um, just was treated horribly in school and all kinds of bad things. And um, we went hunting one time and uh, we traveled this before I moved to this area. And we came up and we stayed with some families I knew that were up here. We were talking here 40 years ago. And um, then we, we visited with them, had dinner with them, and then left and came back. And we hunted, got skunked. Then we came back, visited with them a little bit more. And, and driving home, my friend, I can tell you his first name was Mike. Then uh, Mike had, like I say, he just had a whole lot of rejection his whole life. And he was kind of a weird guy because of it, I think. A little bit. He just was socially awkward. But we were driving home. Uh, I lived in Stockton at the time, or out on Union Island, and we were driving home, and Mike just, out of, you know, our conversation, he just said to me, he said, you know, David, he said, David, he said, I'm beginning to think maybe God does love me. And I said, well, that's good. And he just kept driving, and then I started thinking about what he just said. I kind of assumed God loved me. I know he does, I, you know, but there's a fellow that riding in the car with me that is a, is a Christian, professed Christian, reads his Bible and prays. He didn't think God loved him. He wasn't sure of it. Until he was around some people that started accepting him and treating him kind. Those were people that ministered grace to him by their speech. They listened to him. They laughed at his silly jokes. You know, and they treated him like a brother. And lo and behold, it had a transforming effect on him. Mike passed away. Uh, he went to be with the Lord. Our last few conversations were very precious. I won't get into all that. But through kind words that were spoken to him, his life, I believe, really was affected and changed. And so uh, we need to recognize that. We need to minister grace to those who hear us. And anyway, here's one of the reasons why we want to avoid harsh speech. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Paul says here, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit till the day of redemption. He's promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise in the new covenant. God says he's not going to throw you away. He's not going to abandon you. He's going to be with you. And so, we, because of his presence, we want to make sure that we don't grieve him. Okay? Break fellowship with, with God, with the Holy Spirit. We want to do what's pleasing to God. And, and the Holy Spirit is grieved when we're using harsh, angry words with each other. Or carrying those thoughts in our hearts. Remember I said don't speak if your heart has those thoughts in it. Deal with your heart. Our Lord Jesus Christ, if you remember, he said, it, it's recorded twice in the Gospels. Um, he said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Okay, that's from the old King James. Uh, from the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So what comes out of your mouth, if it's ugly, it's because you've got ugly things in your heart. If you want to know what's in your heart, as I've said before, the scripture is very clear on, 
If you want to know what's in your heart, listen to what comes out of your mouth. Now, James tells us if we're going to take on this task and recognize, okay, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, that I need to deal with it. Well, James gives us some sobering advice, and that's in the book of James. If you want to turn there, if you're going to look at uh, the third chapter of James, which deals with this problem, or gives us some insight. Here's, here's what we're dealing with, all right? Um, James says in chapter 3 and verse 1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. All right? Because too much is given, much is required. Then he says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, meaning mature. He's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. So get your tongue under control, and it will carry over into other areas, is what he's saying. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. A little bit, that little pressure on the tongue, changes the course, the direction of things. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, yet they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Pilot, you know, the guy at the wheel. That little rudder, compared to the whole ship, it's pretty small. Some rudders can be big, but that's because the ship's huge. But the rudder, comparatively to the rest of the ship, it's a small thing. And yet it controls where the ship's going, whether it's going to go to the port that's desired or whether it's going to crash into the rocks and be destroyed. Um, the rudder determines that. The worst thing that could happen to a ship used to happen sometimes back in the you know, older days, more so when ships were made of wood. If a ship lost its rudder, particularly in a storm, it was pretty much all over at that point because the idea of turning into the wind or away from it or whatever you needed to do you could no longer control it because you've lost control. Well, if you have a, a rudder, meaning your tongue, make sure it's aimed in the right direction. And then and he applies it here. It's just what James says in verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest uh, a little fire kindles. We experience this right now. You can go outside and look at the smoke. And you can see. Sometimes you hear about fires because somebody flicked a cigarette or somebody made a spark. One little thing and then the whole thing goes up. And he's saying that's what the tongue does. Words can really be destructive. In the tongue is the power of life and death. The tongue is a fire, he says in verse 6. A world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature, or uh, yeah, reptile and, and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, part of the dominion mandate. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. It means in his image. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? By the way, it does if it's polluted. If it was cleansed and then somebody threw something in it and polluted it. Yeah, but generally, no, they don't. A spring doesn't. Okay, the idea of a spring doesn't do that, so why are you doing Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus... No spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. So he says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show 
by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. So he goes on about this and says, uh, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above, and this means wisdom reflected in your speech and actions, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So, James has a lot more to say about this. But he's saying, you can't control your tongue. Well, what do you do? Well, you go to the one who can control your tongue. You go to the Lord Jesus Christ and you trust him. The Holy Spirit is the one who has to do this work in us. In uh, Ephesians, well, actually in Colossians, let's turn there because it says it a little differently. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. Paul writes to the church and tells them there, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. See, if you want your words to reflect reality and God's truth and be kind and good and edifying, then let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Get scripture into your thinking. Get it into your hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts. Well, that's, that's plural, the idea of the corporate singing. With grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. So if you want to deal with your tongue, you need to have scripture in your heart and in your mind. And that's what he's telling the Colossians. He said that to the Ephesians also. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, at verse uh Really, at, at verse 18, he says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, just, you know, bad living. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And so he says, don't, don't be getting drunk. That's, that's a waste of your life but be filled with the Spirit. Well, in Colossians, a parallel passage, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So uh, and blasphemy, which means slander also. Blasphemia is a Greek word. Uh, it must be taken away from you, together with every kind, literally, when it says, with all malice, that's the word kakia, that's the opposite of kalas, uh, okay, and kalas means beautiful, kaka, or karkas, we have, actually have that word in English, don't we? Uh, ooh, okay, we won't do that, but uh, kakia means everything that's ugly, okay, Paul says, get all the ugliness out of your life, go to Jesus, say, Lord, I need this gone, and I really need you to help me because my tongue is out of control. Or my heart needs to be sanctified. So he says, uh, with all malice, get, get all the ugly stuff out of your life. So bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, or screaming actually, yelling, uh, and evil speaking. Or the Greek word there is blasphemia. 
Uh, let it be put away from you. Get it, get it out of your life. Recognize it. You, if, you, if somebody said, oh, by the way, there's a bunch of rattlesnakes in your house right now, you wouldn't go, oh, I'm not going to worry about it. I'll deal with it later. Okay? You wouldn't do anything until that had been dealt with. You wouldn't tell your wife or your children or, you know, company or anybody else, hey, it's okay, don't worry. we got a bunch of rattlesnakes inside the house, but, you know, so don't worry about it. So you'd say, whoa, this is deadly. i got to deal with this now. Beloved, that the situation in your heart and your tongue needs to be dealt with now. And I'm not just talking to somebody that might say, well, I kind of blew it in, in the past or, you know, not too long ago. I'm talking to every one of us. We need to get our hearts submitted to Jesus Christ. Get rid of it. How do you change your heart? You go to Jesus. The Holy Spirit can reach into your very innermost person. Okay? Uh, he's able to sanctify you. Like uh, the writer of the Hebrews said, uh, if the blood of bulls and goats that could not take away sins, then the, the, uh, the blood of Christ can. Okay? If you offer himself without blemish to God through, in, through the uh, eternal spirit, he's able to reach into your very soul, the depth of your being, and cleanse you. So get that out of your life. Go to Jesus and say, Lord, please take this away. And they said, and then the result of that is not speaking harsh words or cruel words or unthinking words. Be kind to one another. Like I said, a courteous. That word kind can mean uh, gentle. It can mean, well, it means kind. Okay, Good is actually, uh, prestos is the word that you So be kind to one another, tender-hearted, literally having bowels of mercy. Is the old King James way. We're a little uncomfortable with that kind of. Uh, biblical psychology, you know, I do have what? You have bowels of mercy. It means your inner being is to be compassionate. And that's what it says here. Uh, uh, being tender-hearted, a very good translation. Forgiving another, one another, this word is it's a unique word because it, it's not the usual word for forgiving. This word means be gracious to one another. Be graciously forgiving to one another, even as God in Christ graciously forgave you. So don't hold grudges. Get the bitterness out of your heart. If somebody messes up, you can talk to them about it, but talk to Jesus about it first. And be kind. And speak so to build each other up. And that's, I hope I did that a little bit today just now. I hope you're encouraged to go to Jesus. He's more willing to receive you and help you with this than you're willing to go to him. So say, Lord, please make me willing to do this and help me. And may God make you an expert on speaking kind out of fine words to everyone. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray you be with us now and bless us and the things we've just considered in your word about our speech and our hearts and your will and being edifying and encouraging each other and turning away from things that are ugly uh, and, and just sinful. Lord, we pray you change our hearts, Lord. Bring about your will in our lives. Help our speech to reflect your reality.